Hello and welcome everyone to the Almost Awesome Podcast, the only podcast that still wears an onion on its belt because it never goes out of style. Today, we're going to review the new Hellboy reboots and try really, really hard not to compare it to Del Toro's movies. Just so everyone's on the same page, Hellboy is about a devil-looking paranormal investigator named, surprisingly, Hellboy. Created by Mike McNola, the Hellboy comics follow the t- titular hero on his many different investigations into the supernatural. Some are single issues, self-contained stories that center around different folklore monsters or mysteries that Hellboy has to punch in the face or get stabbed by. Others are entire volumes dedicated to the near-world-ending events where Bad, tra- bad guys try to get Hellboy to start the apocalypse because they say that it's his literal destiny and then punches those guys in the face. Now, you might be aware of the first two Hellboy movies made by the Academy Award-winning director Guillermo del Toro, which has cemented itself into the hearts and minds of fans everywhere. And I'm sorry to say that this movie pales in comparison. It is unfair to compare a movie to another, but... This movie is a reboot, and the comparisons are hard to ignore. But, I'm going to ignore them for now, and talk about this movie on its own. And on its own, it isn't great. Structurally, this movie is all over the place. With lots of different competing ideas and themes all sharing space in an hour and 30 minute runtime, The main focus of the story, I would say, is how Hellboy is dissatisfied with his job at the BPRD, the Paranormal, or the Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense. But even that isn't quite clear. The movie starts with Hellboy in Tijuana looking for a friend and fellow agent, Ruiz, who who were just told had a friendship with Hellboy instead of actually showing it. He finds his friend fighting as a luchador in a wrestling match and gets into a fight with him where it's revealed that he has been turned into a vampire and Hellboy accidentally ends up killing him. This this sends Hellboy into a drunken bender till he is picked up by the BPRD at the request of his adopted father, Trevor Broom, played by Ian McShane. And that's it for that plot thread. Never again does this event influence any other of Hellboy's actions. He isn't extra careful when fighting people again. He doesn't even find the people responsible for his friend's transformation. He's not even reluctant to let people get close to him. All this scene does is that it sets up some vague prophecy told by Ryu, or Riaz, sorry, in his final moments that Hellboy will bring about the end of the world. How does he know this, you might ask? Well, congratulations, you literally just put more thought into it than the filmmakers did. Like I said, this is never addressed again. It just serves as a reminder that Hellboy feels an impending doom that he is responsible for. Hellboy is then quickly sent onto another mission after barely having a father-son moment between Trevor and Hellboy, which is a nice moment on its own to suggest they have at least a functioning relationship, 
but the rest of the movie tries to convince you it's anything but. Hellboy then goes off to fight some giants for a society called the Osiris Club, I think it's called, and ends up going on a mission with them to fight these giants and ends up getting betrayed and tries to get, well, he's almost murdered by the Osiris Club. I don't want to give too much away because, in all honesty, I do think this movie does deserve a look. But what I'm trying to establish here is that this movie goes from different events. And it's really quite clear when you're at least aware of the source material. A lot of scenes from this movie are taken directly from the comic books. Which, on one hand, is really cool. As a fan of the comic books myself, I really like seeing these different events played out on the big screen. But remember what I was talking about with the Hellboy stories? Some of them are overarching plots and some of them are short, self-contained stories. Well, the way this movie is structured is it felt like it got a lot of those self-contained elements and then jammed them, jammed, packed them in to the same movie. And Mike Mignola's comic books have a more cohesive structure to that. And each story has its own narrative. So really, this movie just felt like a bunch of different scenes spliced together. And that brings me to the editing for this movie. There was a lot of fast-paced editing, a lot of exposition dumps where it's just going back and forth between characters where they're just kind of telling you what happens and kind of telling you the significance of something. Uh, for example, there's this beginning scene or this opening scene where it shows King Arthur fighting the main villain, Nimue, who is the blood queen played by Mila Jogovic where it kind of sets up her whole motivation. She wants to destroy all of mankind and bring monsters as the dominant species on the planet. I guess. It's very bland, vague, supervillain motivations. And it's really just uneventful and uninspiring. And Her performance is kind of good, but just, again, it's kind of bland. But this opening scene, like there's literally a sign or there's literally a scene where the Blood Queen and King Arthur meet. And she's like, ah, the great King Arthur graces us with his presence. And then King Arthur goes to fight her. And then he pulls out his sword, Excalibur. And she's like, oh, Excalibur! Like... Like, it's some kind of weird Saturday morning cartoon show. Like, I almost thought during this opening scene, because this is one of the other major problems, and this is kind of a comparison to the previous Hellboy movies, but this opening narration felt... It's narrated by Ian McShane as Trevor Broom, which is similar to another opening narration 
that's done by John Hurt from the previous movies who played Trevor Broom in those movies. And <laughs> what was weird is that this whole opening scene, the way it's shot, just going from person to person, plot point to plot point, expo- like this whole big exposition dump, it almost felt like this whole scene was supposed to be structured as kind of a a grandiose, embellished tale of what happened, of what actually happened. Like, it felt almost like a parody. Like, there's a part where Nimue is defeated by Arthur, and she's cut up into different pieces and placed into iron boxes in order to, because she's immortal, separate her remains so she can never return. And there's literally a scene where... Uh, Ian McShane is describing what is happening in this opening narration. And he goes, it's like, they locked her away with a magic spell by a holy man. And then it cuts right to a priest or something dousing holy water in this really fast-paced editing. He's like, nothing but the words of a man of God could release this box. And it's like, Okay, that's super specific. Thanks for letting us know. Like, it's it's not something that normal people would say, but the way it's shot, like, with the fast-paced editing, it's just kind of okay. And that's what made me think that this was some kind of weird parody embellished story. And it was going to be kind of part of the feel of the movie. I felt like it was going to parody a lot of these like folklore elements, which Hellboy has kind of done in the past, like both in the comics and the movies. Like there can be a little bit of a humorous take on these events, but no, it's played completely straight and it just feels dumb. So that's just one example of just, the weird exposition and the weird editing in this movie. There's also a lot of different scenes where there's a lot of continuity errors. And what I mean by that is like a continuity error is when something appears as one way in one shot and then in another shot, it appears in a completely different way. Like there's a scene where, um, the main characters, Hellboy and his two sidekicks who are Alice Monaghan and Ben Dynamo, who are played by Sasha Lane and Daniel Day Kim, respectively, who, by the way, uh, David Harbour as Hellboy, and Sasha Lane as Alice Monaghan, and Daniel Day Kim as Ben Dynamo, I think these three are really, really good casting choices for these characters. I'm not too familiar with Alice and Ben from the comic books, I kind of have a general idea of what their characters are like, but I thought they were really enjoyable, and I thought these were really interesting takes on these characters. And I also uh, thought they just really rounded out this cast. You know, the previous movies had Hellboy, Liz Sherman, and Abe Sapien, so already they were doing a new movie without two of those characters, which kind of helped round out all these, like, big personalities and stuff like that. But I thought 
they these characters and these actors actually worked really well together. David Harbour is a good Hellboy, and I actually enjoyed, you know, the way he looked and uh, a lot of his mannerisms, and I really felt it. He brought a little bit. He brought Hellboy out of the campiness that sometimes the previous Hellboy movies suffered from. Because, yeah, like the first Hellboy movie, it's it's a little campy. Like, it's it doesn't hold up great. It's still a good story, but Hellboy 2 is still an almost perfect movie. But we're not here to talk about that. But back to my original point, there's this scene where all three of them are in a uh, truck, and they're going towards uh, one of their objectives in the movie, and Hellboy and... Uh, Alice are sitting down in the truck, and they're just kind of relaxing. And then it cuts to literally them, like, parking in front of where they're supposed to be going. And then Hellboy is standing up, kind of crouched down, like, looking out the window. Alice starts getting a headache. And the way they're positioned, it wasn't the way they were positioned before. So when I see that, it makes me think something was cut out. And I feel like I'm missing a bit of information. And it's just one of many examples that I can find in this movie where things are cut weird, cut to certain things that makes me feel like this movie was either had a lot of reshoots or things were cut around to make a different story. Because like I was saying before, a lot of scenes are taken directly from the comic book. And it felt like... They wanted to film a lot of these different scenes and then just mash them together. And then they had to reshoot certain scenes and they realized like some scenes didn't work. So in the editing process, they had to kind of come up with a different narrative story. And the movie suffers from that. And that's why structurally this movie does not work. Because everything is all over the place. Like, even Hellboy's motivations, like I was talking about before. You don't really know what is he learning. Like, in the first movie, in the first Hellboy movie, and here's where we get the comparisons, just so you can understand what I'm talking about, is that Hellboy feels like he's a freak. He feels like he doesn't belong and wants to feel like he does belong. He doesn't want to believe, like, he is a demon. And his arc in the story is that he learns to accept himself and accept that he's a good person. And then in the second movie, he learns how to take responsibility. Like, he's still this immature kind of person, but he becomes a little bit more mature and takes more responsibility and makes more mature decisions. I cannot tell you what exactly Hellboy goes through, what he learns in this movie. Especially when it hits a lot of the same kind of beats that the first movie was trying to go for. And and here's where I'm going to talk about the ending a little bit. Like, I could go off on a lot of different scenes in this movie. But I think the thing that really turned me off and I was really kind of disappointed with was 
the amount of gore in this film. Now, when it comes to gore in films, for me personally, I think blood, guts, and all that stuff is fine. I don't see a lot of necessary ways to really show that. Sometimes there can be a purpose of it. But there's like a lot of blood, guts, and uh, brains, and just like a lot of gross-looking things. And it doesn't really bother me unless we see the person suffering. And that's when it crosses over into torture porn, when people are suffering and getting dismembered. There's a character in this... uh, There's a bad guy in this movie... Uh, that I cannot pronounce his name, but he's a uh, basically this giant warthog-looking guy. And he's a constant character in the comic books, so I kind of recognized him, and I kind of understood his story. But unfortunately, without the context of the comics, you're kind of left confused about this minor antagonist's uh feelings and his motivations like he wants revenge on hellboy but it's not really clear why he wants that and the accent that this actor goes with for this character kind of makes it hard to understand um but there's a scene where he wipes out all of these silent monk characters in order to recover one of the pieces of nimue And he brutally dismembers a lot of them. And there's even this, like, one particular shot where it's just, like, it's one of those shots where they're they're kind of obscuring your view of the violence for some reason, which, by doing the shadowed silhouettes... Like, there's a lighted space, and they have silhouettes of the violence that's going on. And they have one character who's observing it. So we're left to infer the horror that's going on by looking at the expression of this monk character who's horrified. And also by all the body parts that are being spilled. But it's almost comedic in a way, because it's this, it stays on the shot for a while. And you could just see... Like, different limbs, different, like, bloody parts just being thrown against the wall. And normally, movies do this to, A, because it's like a budget constraint. Because they can't, and B, to try and get away with people are being dismembered, but we don't actually want to show it. And yet, this movie shows a whole bunch of gore. So it doesn't make sense why they're doing this particular film technique when it's unnecessary. Unless it was a reshoot and they ran out of money. But I digress. There's So all these people are getting horrendously butchered by this character. And then there's uh, another scene where, like I said before, only... Like, the boxes can only be opened by the words of a man of God. So, the pig guy brutally rips out the jaw of this monk. And he's just, like, suffering and he's whimpering and he dies. And they really show the guy's jaw getting ripped out. 
And like, yeah, it's CG, and but it's still communicate. And then the warthog guy puts the jaw in his own mouth, and then mouths the words to release the locks, which. You know, A for creativity. Like, I definitely did not see that coming. And it might work, but the absurdness of it doesn't undercut the horrific act that just happened. And when, and I think audiences, especially, don't really like seeing innocent people getting maimed and brutally murdered like that. The biggest turnoff. And the biggest problem and the biggest example of why I think this movie didn't really have a plan going through and kind of just wanted to jam as many cool visuals as possible was at the end. And at the end of the movie, Hellboy – like a big part of Hellboy's story is that he's meant to jumpstart the apocalypse – and at the end of the movie, he finds out he's also the heir to King Arthur's throne, which is from the comics. Um, and he picks up the sword Excalibur. He pulls it from stone. and But he's been manipulated by Nimue to do this. And this somehow starts the apocalypse. Which isn't really explained how or why, because we thought this was King Arthur's sword, but he didn't have the power. But it's really weird. Like, it doesn't explain how this actually happens, which is another example of bad storytelling. But then when Hellboy takes the sword from Stone and he becomes more demonic, like his horns grow and he gets, all, and he gets his fiery crown, which is almost exactly what happened in the first movie... The ground cracks open and a bunch of dark soul-looking demons start rising up. And these different and these different monsters who all look different, they all look like they're monsters from the video game Dark Souls. And they start brutally killing innocent people in the London streets. Like it's insane the amount of gore that's going on. Like, there are people who are being skinned alive, ripped apart. There's monsters who are, like, stepping on people. And there there was, like, this one guy, he had spikes that were impaling people as he walked. There was one guy who just kind of... Sorry, I got an email. <laughs> uh, there was one guy, or this one monster who had a giant blade arm. He grabs a guy and just kind of wax him against his sword and just kind of like ugh, he just kind of scrapes him off it it's horrifying and he chops him in half and then the most brutal part and this was actually like something i saw in like promotional material for the movie there's one demon who like grabs a guy by the legs and like rips him apart groin first and it's it it's disgusting and it's brutal and i actually like saw like the beginning part of that clip in promotional material for the movie and i was just like oh no because 
I could already understand the context of what was going on. These were innocent people getting murdered by monsters. But the thing that makes this worse is that this is all done directly by Hellboy's actions. He decides to take the sword Excalibur and jumpstarts the apocalypse because he thinks, like, it's his destiny? Like, there's no hope? Again, it's not quite clear. Like, at this point in the movie, Trevor Broom has been murdered by Nimue. Spoilers, I guess. But Trevor Broom always dies. He's dead the first time we meet him in the comics. So that's not really a spoiler. But he has died by this time in the comics. And this is what kind of sets Hellboy over the edge. And he takes up Excalibur because he's angry with Nimue. And you thought, oh, is he going to kill her or what? Again, it's really confusing, and the movie doesn't address these different motivations. So, Hellboy is finally convinced by the ghost of Trevor Broom, who's brought to life by Alice Monaghan, who previously had this ability to summon spirits to talk to people, and he convinces Hellboy that he's a good man and he can make his own choices. Almost mirroring, or mirroring, as normal people say, the scene from the first movie where a person says almost the exact same things to Hellboy to make him stop going through with the apocalypse. It's, it's, it's literally the same scene. And it's kind of stupid. <laughs> Uh, but of course, Hellboy decides, oh, I'm not going to be a bad guy, and he actually uh, defeats Nimue by cutting off her head. And then doing this, by rejecting that, he puts the sword back into the ground, just plain old ground, not the actual stone. And this causes all the monsters to be sucked back into the portal, into the cracks in the earth. But when they're sucked back in, the ground repairs itself so it's like they never were there but still all these people got horrendously murdered because of hellboy's actions and it's just like oh we save the day and it's like no you assholes you murdered like half the people in britain like what is the it was so disappointing to see and it really showed a lack of care on the filmmaker's part. They were really just trying to jam-pack so many cool-looking visuals and scenes from the comic books into this movie. But there was no real vision of how to make a cohesive story out of this, which is what Guillermo del Toro did so well in the first two Hellboy movies, which is always much more important. The fighting in this movie is top-notch. Now, I take it back. It's not top-notch. It's really fun to watch, but it is just jumbled altogether. I mean, you might as well just watch the action scenes from the first two Hellboy movies on YouTube 
and you get the same experience. So like I said, I enjoyed seeing a lot of these different characters and scenes from the comic books brought to life on the big screen, but they were just put together in a jumbled mess. And I really do believe that the filmmakers are fans of the Hellboy comics. I think there was a lot of love here, but not a lot of vision. It was more of just, hey, let's just do this next really cool thing. Oh, wouldn't it be cool if we did this? That's what this movie is. A kind of experiment of different cool things you can shoot and different cool effects you can have. And that's why this movie was disappointing. And generally, I think a lot of people, including myself, wanted to give this movie a fair shot. We're very interested in it. But, you know, Guillermo del Toro was able to create really beautiful effects and settings and sceneries. Like, his set designs are amazing. More so in the second movie. I mean, I watched the first Hellboy movie recently, and the effects have not aged well, to say the least. And there is a lot of campiness, like I mentioned. But he knew the importance of creating a cohesive story, and he would only incorporate elements from the comics when it fit this particular story. And that is ultimately why people, including myself, enjoy the hell, the first two Hellboy movies better. I really hope this isn't the end of Hellboy movies. I hope we do get some kind of continuation. Maybe we could get a TV show. It's very unlikely that we would ever see what Guillermo del Toro's third Hellboy movie would have been. My main hope is that we can use this to spur us to want better Hellboy stories and better adaptions of some of our favorite comics. So that's where I'm going to end today's podcast. Um, I'm, uh, I'm trying to get these out a little bit faster and a little bit more frequently. Had a lot of uh, car troubles that I was trying to get through, so my transportation has been very limited. But there's been a lot of stuff in movies and TVs uh, over the past few weeks that I really want to get to. And uh, I'm going to be doing some new stuff very soon. Going to be putting more videos on YouTube. Uh, just different sketches and different ideas. And I'm really going to be expanding the Almost Awesome podcast and doing a lot of different cool things very soon. So I hope you stay tuned. I hope you enjoy hearing me talk about these movies and hopefully soon I'll be able to make this into more of a conversation. So thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. <laughs>